need your prayer, but just uh, uh, in case you see me being a little bit uncomfortable, I uh, was on my way to the polling station on Wallaceville yesterday evening after some meetings here at the church, and I got hit from behind, and, and that's now the ninth time that's happened. And so I'm kind of hobbling around a little bit, and I felt so sorry for the lady driving. Her 80-year-old mother was in the back seat, and uh, somebody in front of me had stopped suddenly, and, and I stopped in enough time, but the lady didn't see them, and, and so her car slammed into the back of mine, and her 80-year-old mom, her face hit the back of the seat, and she had a big bruise and knee all banged up. And so I want you to pray for them too. They, they seem to be really sweet people, but I may in a little while call for a stool or something. I've never done that in all these years of, of teaching and preaching here, but I might need to. So if I do, that's what's going on with that. Uh, pray for me this week. I'm supposed to leave today for India and be in a meeting there with uh, Benny Matthews. That's some of our folk originally with uh, roots in India. And uh, they... Uh, there, that's one of the greatest areas of need that exist, and we will be ordaining some pastors and having a graduation and and uh, having a conference there. Pray for us. But let me get immediately into the Word of the Lord. Uh, this, I just say this, uh, ah, man, we're in the middle of something right now. I don't know if you know it, but we're having a revival right now. We are. God is working. Oh, nobody's declared we're having revival. It's just God showed up and he's, we're having a revival. I mean that. And we're having extraordinary things happen. The crowds have been phenomenal. We're having all kinds of miracles take place. I am praying and I want you to help me pray because in all these years, um, I haven't done this in, in 25 years. I am thinking of either on consecutive Sunday nights for about a month, just having a series of Sunday night Holy Spirit encounters with Lloyd Bustard, or once a month or something for the next little bit. I talked to Lloyd and uh, just this past week, and, and Lloyd, uh, man, the guy, I'm telling, the, the God used him. God doesn't, I mean, he, he, he doesn't even get used like that in his own church. His church has never seen that dimension of his ministry because when you pastor, you pastor a different way than you do when you operate elsewhere in conferences or whatever. But we're just in an extraordinary season, and Lloyd told me, he said, however I can serve you, I'll be happy to. When I told him what I'm feeling, and I'm praying for clarity. So would you be up for that? Amen. I know a lot of you weren't even here, and all I can say is, Sorry. You know why they call him Doubting Thomas, don't you? He missed one church service. I'm serious. Thomas gave his life in India. That's where Christianity started in India. Thomas the Apostle went there, gave his life as a martyr in India, South India. That's why so many of them are called Thomas. <laughs> Seriously, they're named after him. But do you know he missed one church service, and wouldn't you know it, when he decided to stay home, Jesus walks right through the wall in the middle of the group, and they all, what? 
And Thomas, when they went to tell him, uh-uh, I, don't, I saw him die, guys. I know better than that. And unless I put my hand in the hole made with a spear, thrust my finger into the nail prints, I will not believe. I don't know who you're trying to kid. And next church service, he, for whatever reason, he got around to showing up the next time. And when he did, Jesus walked in, walked right up to him and said, Here, Thomas, stick your hand in. For that from that time till now, he has been called Doubting Thomas. You never know what might happen to one church service you don't show up. So all I can say is if you weren't here, you say, you're making me feel bad. Good. We're in an extraordinary season. Oh, by the way, my, I hope you're giving to the building program. Have you seen what they're doing right there on the belt? Right next to FMC Technology, you, they're putting in this huge retail center. Hotel's going to be there, all this. They're putting in all kind of stuff. It's going to be unbelievable. You know what they call it? They're calling it Redemption Square. <laughs> Amen. Tell me this is not a God set up. So keep praying, keep giving. And, and when they first named it Generation 8 Park, well, I know what numbers mean in the Bible. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And when they did that Generation 8, I just said, what's going on with that? But now this is too much to be coincidence. Redemption Square, something's going on. God has our plans and our future all mapped out for us. I can promise you he does. And we've been talking about living the extraordinarily blessed life, Psalms 1, 1 through 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted, say it with me, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. What an extraordinary word picture, planted by the rivers of water. And as I've pointed out, within the Middle Eastern context, this word picture is all this, this much more are that much more profound and that it signifies in an area where you need rain to survive once in a while, it signifies the picture of someone or portrays the picture of someone who doesn't need the occasional rain or blessing because they're living in a permanent state of blessedness. I'm planted by the river. I'm not out here waiting for the rain to fall. And the word planted is further used to contrast with the chaff which the wind separates from the wheat and blows off the chaff that is worthless. And God is demonstrating the value of someone being planted. Psalms 92 verses 12 through 15, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The two trees that he mentions here are 
particularly worthy of note and that the palm tree, if you've ever seen uh, the old Lawrence of Arabia type movies, the oasis with the palm trees growing around it, cropping up in the middle of the most hostile environment right in the middle of the desert, here are these palm trees. And then the cedars of Lebanon were tall, stalwart, strong, towering above the other trees. It's clear that what these pictures are portraying are a level of elevation that contrasts with the environment that they are in. They don't reflect their environment. They rather reflect an element of additional grace. The trees, the cedars are taller than all of the others. The palm tree is flourishing where in the rest of the desert, not even a shrub can grow. Something's going on here. And it says, it continues in verse number 14, they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. Nah, now then we're getting somewhere. What is the purpose of this extraordinary level or state of blessedness? What is the meaning of it? What function does it serve to declare that the Lord is upright? God has a purpose in all of this. And the psalmist says, he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. What God is saying and what the psalmist is declaring is that God is doing all of this because he has a vested and proprietary interest in seeing that you are blessed as his people. He is declared by what is doing, he's doing in you. Others look at that and say, God is upright. God is unbelievable. There's no unrighteousness in God. I'm talking to you about a surefire way to move beyond the occasional blessing that you pray for once in a while into a state of being extraordinarily blessed. Now, if I can give you, a, 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 as it were, a program or a solution that works with 100% efficacy, is there anybody here that would say, talk to me, Pastor, I want to hear how to live in a state of blessedness that is 100% fail-proof. Anybody want to know, would you give me the time? I'm not talking about like Boudreaux. When he went with his wife Marie and Marie's mama, his mother-in-law, that he sure didn't like and she didn't like him either. And they were visiting a wishing well and Boudreaux took a coin out of his pocket and thought about it for a moment and dropped it over into the wishing well, mumbled a little prayer under his breath, made a wish, and the mother-in-law decided to do the same thing. So she grabbed a coin out of her purse and leaned over the well to drop it and she fell in and drowned. And Boudreaux looked up, his eyes got big, his jaw fell open. He turned to Marie and said, Shy, that really works. I didn't know this thing worked so that that's amazing. I want to show you something that really works. Galatians 5, 22 through 26, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk, also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. 
I'm in a series on planted, fruitful, and flourishing, and today I want to continue from the subject I used last week. My subject last week was the purpose of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness has a purpose. What is that purpose? So this will be part two before I move on to something else. Let me conclude what I needed to say about the purpose of fruitfulness. Father, I ask that you would speak to us revelationally, as I always do. Anybody can get up here and just open the Bible because it's so full of wisdom and knowledge. They can read from it, go get a concordance and a dictionary and, and a thesaurus and all these other tools that we're all grateful for and commentary and, and maybe expound on it. But that's not revelational. That just scratches the surface. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church because your word has the profound power of being able to generate life. The letter kills. That's all the first thing does. It's just the letter. But help us get beyond the letter to the spirit that is behind what you have written in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Let me just briefly go back over a couple of things. Last week I pointed out that fruit on a tree... And on other types of vegetation, whether it's a berry, whether it's even a potato growing in the, the ground, a, tu a tuber, uh, it could be a sweet potato, an Irish potato, it could be a carrot, it could be a radish. Whether it is above or beneath the ground, anytime you have fruit, whether it's vegetative, uh, it's a banana, or even like I said, in the form of a berry, there's always a reason that that is growing. God designed fruit for the purpose of carrying the seeds that will cause that species of life to multiply. And whether it's a tree, a vegetable, a shrub, a berry, uh, or something else, an herb, the seed is always there for that express purpose. It's the delivery system for the multiplication of that species. That's really important because for us to understand what God is telling us in all these passages I've read about being planted and fruitful, we have to first get beyond some presuppositions we have about and regarding fruit that are incorrect. We think fruit is all about us. We think God created an apple so we'd have something to eat, a banana so we'd have something to snack on. We think potatoes and radishes, and I've never been sure about radishes, if that's really considered food or not, but some people eat them. And... Um, you know, if, if so, go ahead. But uh, all, all this stuff that, that we eat, we've always thought that God made that just to sustain us. That's not true. As I pointed out last week, they were made three whole creative days prior to God creating man, which could have been an extraordinarily long, almost infinitely long passage of time, as I explained last week. Whether it's the papaya or the grape or it's the orange or whatever it is, the pineapple, those things were all created long before man was and God told them that they were to bear after their kind. He gave them seed that they could continue the propagation of the species from the first generation forward. Similarly, when the Bible speaks of us being fruitful, we need to understand it, not from the ego or selfish self-centric uh, perspective of fruit is for food for us. We need to understand what fruit really is about.
well. Fruit is about propagation, multiplication. It is about continuation of the species. And for us to understand why we're fruitful and what God's vested interest is in us being fruitful, we have to get beyond thinking of our fruitfulness as existing only for our own gratification and enjoyment. We first of all must answer this question, does God want us to be fruitful? Because I can tell you that if I were to specifically ask that question of you, you would answer positively, yes, he wants the human race to be fruitful, but many in this room would not be nearly so quick to answer positively if I asked the second question as a follow-up, does he want you to be fruitful? Most of us would then be a little bit hesitant and somewhat ambivalent in the answer that we provide. And that is because we understand that God generally wants to bless people, but we also know who we are. And we struggle with this whole thing, not having fully understood the revelation of what grace is in our lives. We struggle because we know the enemy has three tools, accusation, temptation, and deception. Every one of us have been tempted and made mistakes. Don't tell me you haven't. You're made of the same flesh I have. And we probably at some point have had some deception at work in our lives. If it's not self-deception, it's something else. I mean, nobody's as blind as the guy that refuses to open his eyes and see. And some things we just won't open our eyes to examine and take a look at. But particularly, this thing about accusation, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, hinders our understanding as to why fruitfulness is important to God. We say that God wants everybody to be fruitful. Nearly every one of you in this building would, would say, I believe he wants people to be fruitful, everybody but me. Me, not as much. And the reason that you say that internally, voice that thought to yourself, is because you know you're imperfect. Not understanding grace, we fail to realize we are complete or made perfect in Him. Whatever we lack up, lack, grace makes up the balance of it. And so we walk around extremely aware and cognizant of our deficiency or the deficit that exists, but not nearly as aware of the sufficiency of his supply that he has made up that has been missing. Does God want you to be fruitful is the question specifically and very pointedly that I'm going to ask you this morning. And I say, yes, look at John 15, 16. You did not choose me. Right off the bat, let's correct something. I hear people talk about, oh, when I made my mind up to get saved, when I decided to give my heart to God, when I found God, you didn't make up your mind to do anything. You didn't find God. He wasn't lost. You were the one that was lost. Amen. Jesus said, unless the Father has, which has sent me draw you, no man can come unto me. You need to know that God's the one that wooed you from the beginning until his love overwhelmed you. And he helped you come to that decision or place in your life where you said yes to him. Without that call, you never would have answered. Amen. And so Jesus said, let's correct the record. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And then he says, and appointed you, I've highlighted that in this text, that you, everybody, hear the personal pronoun, you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You're appointed. You have an appointment with fruitfulness. You, you need to hear me. You have an appointment 
with fruitfulness. On God's calendar, there's a time, a date circled with your name written in when he intends for you to be fruitful. John 15 and 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, notice it's he. That doesn't mean a specific he. It means any person, and nor does it refer to a certain gender. Anybody who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Look at somebody and say, you hadn't seen anything yet. Would you do that? Much fruit. I'm getting ready to get kicked up to another level here. Amen. I'm getting boosted upstairs. I, you're, what you've seen in my life hadn't been anything. You, don't be shocked because it's getting ready to go on steroids at the next dimension. And, and he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So let's once again understand that fruitfulness is for every believer. Uh, even if you are very cognizant of your own failings. It wasn't about you anyway. It was about him, as I said earlier, that people could see that God is upright. He desires to have fruit in your life. Just quickly, I need to go over this. Fruit in the life of a believer refers again to three things. Number one, it refers to the degree of blessing that's upon your life. The investment of your time, effort, energy, and resources is supposed to produce a product. And when you're in God and you are connected to him, that product is your efforts and investment. And the use of your resources is going to bear to a multiplied level, a dimension of success. It's supposed to be successful. Remember, fruit doesn't normally contain only one seed. An apple, for example, has many. A papaya has hundreds, hundreds. A Georgia peach may only have one pit in, its, in, in the peach. But trust me, one tree produces very, very many peaches. At the least, every particular tree is supposed to experience a multiplication of fruitfulness. This appointment that God has with you to be fruitful is not so you can increase from where you are by 15% or something. I'm talking about a multiplication of fruitfulness. And so your investment of time is supposed to really pay off. Secondly, it has to do with our works, fruitful in our works. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. And thirdly, fruitfulness in the attitudes we possess. The fruits of the Spirit are all about attitudes that I read in the book of Galatians. When you look at what fruit means in the Bible, you suddenly come to realize that it is God who is desiring and promising to make us fruitful. That's amazing. Now, here is the revelation I want you to grasp and I want you to get. It is revelational to learn that what God wants for us and indeed what he has created us to be is to be fruitful. We desire fruit, but we act like God's the reason we're not. Our own failings are the reason we're not. Either we don't measure up or God has better plans for somebody else than he has for us. And we always, in our minds, find a reason based on the accusations of the enemy. If he, the enemy is not accusing us, he's accusing God to us, saying God doesn't want to bless you like he does everybody else. And we, the revelation is, is that God has intended and meant for your life to be fruitful in all three of these categories I've just mentioned. The investment of your time, the fruits of the Spirit, and the works that you manifest in the earth. 
It's God's will that you be fruitful, and the reason that he wants you to be is for reasons much bigger than just so you can get blessed and have a nice car and have a nice house. He wants your efforts to be fruitful. He wants your works to be good, and he wants you to manifest the nine fruits of the Spirit because in the world in which we live, that is going to stand out so vividly that everybody that sees that is going to want to know what your secret is. And you become a living testimony to the goodness of God. Amen. It is amazing how many believers do not believe that they can make anything work in their life. They, they can't be successful at anything. It's amazing how many believers struggle to manifest good works in this life because they don't think that they have the power to live a transformed life. It's amazing how many believers believe they have to live with the wrong attitudes. There are people in this church right now that think they're going to live with depression the rest of their life. There are people in this building that think they've got to live with stress the rest of their life, anger and rage the rest of their lives. You don't have to. The fruits of the Spirit were meant to squeeze the rage out. They were meant to replace anger with joy. They were meant to replace depression with peace. Hello, somebody help me. They were meant to replace hatred with love. And when you get God on the inside, fruit is not optional. It is mandatory. Amen. And, but you got all these folk out there, and they think they'll never know love. They'll never know peace. Listen to Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is works. Peace and joy, both of those are emotions. God transforms your emotions, he transforms your works, and he transforms the outcome of the investment of your time. You know where many of us are living? Look at somebody and say, don't get stuck in the 80s. Would you do that right now? Why do I say that? Because there are folk in this building. Hit it, maestro. That's where a lot of people are living. I don't know love. I don't know joy. I don't know peace. I want to know where love is. I want to know peace. If you're a believer, you're supposed to have that in your life, and it's God's will. But the enemy will steal your fruitfulness from you if you don't know the purpose of fruitfulness. If you think it's all about you and you don't realize it's really about him, using you to bring him glory, then the enemy can rob you of the seeds of multiplication that are inherent within your blessing. Amen. Because others are supposed to see what you are, have going on in your life and want it. And this is what happened with Jacob and Laban. Jacob is running for his life. He doesn't have anything but the shirt on his back. And he shows up at Laban's house, and Laban is a crafty guy. And he sets about trying to deceive Jacob, deceives him all these times. But over the course of 22 years, there is a transfer of wealth into Jacob's hands because he carries a blessing. 
a, a, a patriarchal blessing, an anointing. And even Laban, when Jacob says, I'm leaving, said, man, you can't leave me. I found out God blessed me for your sake. And, and you ought to be carrying such a favor on your life that you're blessing the very office you're working in and the very job that employs you, the company that hired you. Fruitfulness makes other people start looking towards your God. But we have to move on because when God says he's going to bless you and make you fruitful, I need you to understand it means he's going to enable you to do what he knows you are capable of doing. In other words, the extraordinarily blessed life is already within the reach of where you are right now. I need somebody to say it's within my reach. Would you do that? God never requires of us anything we could never ever give him. He doesn't demand what we're not capable of giving to him. He created you and knows the potential that is inside of you. Look at Luke 13. It's a story of a barren fig tree. In verse 6, Jesus speaking this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered, the vineyard keeper answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. There are five noteworthy and significant things that I want to call your attention to that are going on in this passage that can transform your fruitfulness in all of the three areas that I just mentioned if you can catch this and you can understand and believe God's word. Number one, it's worthy to point out that this fig tree was planted by the owner vineyard in his vineyard. Did you get that? The vineyard owner chose where to place it. I need somebody to say, God, plant me, amen, where you want me to be. To be planted implies a certain consistency, a stability, a certain steadfastness. It suggests commitment. You must be where the vineyard owner places you. God has a place for you. I just want to tell you right now, you didn't end up at CT by yourself, amen. God brought you here. Some of you have been worshiping with us for a long, long time. You've never become a member. You need to go ahead and acknowledge what God has already spoken over your life and become a part of what God is doing here. As I've mentioned earlier, some people never bear fruit or experience the extraordinarily blessed life because they're constantly moving from one thing to another. I mean, they're moving from one relationship to another. As soon as they encounter a little challenge in their relationship, bam, they drop that one like a hot potato. You talk about drop it like it's hot, they drop it like it's hot, amen, and, and move on to another relationship. And the problem is their relationships never grow. Now, Jerry and I have been married a long, long time. And trust me when I tell you our relationship is a lot stronger right now than it's ever been before. But earlier on, I had to put up with a lot of stuff to be able to get to... Yes, I will change that in the 1115 service when she's here. Amen. 
But no, in all seriousness, we had to make adjustments, and she probably much more than I had to learn to accept uh, and, and work around some of my imperfections. And, and the truth of the matter is that if either one of us, because of the challenges we encountered early on, had opted out and went to another one, you know what we would have found in that relationship, the second relationship? Imperfect people there too. And if we had dropped that one and moved on. I know people that have been through one relationship after another. And I do not want to make anybody feel bad if you did what you could to make a relationship work and it didn't succeed. Or if even you made mistakes that you now rue and regret. I don't want you to be beat up over that. Remember I said the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Just learn and move forward that where you're planted and where your commitment is is where you will bear fruit. You can't play for the Oilers one weekend, uh, Texans one weekend. There we go. I'm dating myself. Boy, I got back in the 80s, didn't I? And come on out of the 80s, Pastor. Okay. I do know this. They had better music back then than they do now. I don't care what you say. I know what I'm talking about. Young people, forgive me. I'm still on your side. But, but listen. Uh, whether it's the Texans or whether it's the Cowboys, you can't drift from team to team to team and experience any depth in terms of fruitfulness in your relationship because you've got to get planted in one place to be able to become productive. And so that, that really is important. I've already mentioned this in this series that some people drift too much in their life. If it's from one career to another, how are you going to ever be successful? you got to have focus. And have you noticed that if you ever try to pull a tree up, how many of you guys out there doing your lawn? A little oak tree, they can grow pretty fast. Or a little pine tree, a seedling has dropped. And, and, and during the winter months, maybe it started growing or whatever, and now it's time to cut the grass. And, and you see that, and you decide you're going to pull that little thing. Have you ever tried to pull one of those up? They get about that high. You can try all you want to. Amen. Because they've got roots that have gone into the earth, wrapped around the soil. And you, you can pull so hard, you can strip the branches and the leaves right off the, the, the trunk of that little thing. And it still won't let go. It's committed. It's holding on. You need to hold on to some things that have value in your life. And, and if you want to bear fruit... I learned that out here on the back of this property where there's a family life center now. Years ago, there was nothing but a forest right there. And when I came, we decided to build a family life center and, and uh, to save a little money. One of the guys that's a contractor in the church rented a dozer and uh, brought it here, and he showed me how to operate it. And during the day, I'd get out there on the dozer. We had over 235 trees, I think it was, big, tall, big trees that I knocked down with, with that dozer. And uh, I tried first day I got on that thing, and I headed up toward a tree. And, I, man, every, every guy that's ever, every boy that's ever been raised can see himself on the back of a dozer. Well, I was living out my childhood fantasy at that moment. And I come up against that tree, and I started pushing. They're just waiting for that thing to fall. And that tree just looked at me and said, what do you think you're doing? And it wasn't going anywhere. And the guy said, no, that's not how you do it, Pastor. What you got to do is you got to angle in from the side and tilt your blade, and you got to cut around that tree until you begin to cut its roots. And then you go around to the other side and angle the blade the other way, and you cut until you cut the roots on that side, and you separate that tree from what's holding it. And then when you get in the front and push, the tree goes over. 
I learned that, and I watched 235 big, tall trees be toppled to the ground. Because once you cut the root system, that tree doesn't live any longer. And you know what else I saw that was going on during the spring? There would be trees lying on the ground. I'm serious. Lying on the ground that didn't know they had been cut down. And you know the sap that was already in the trunk was still moving up through the, the, the pores of that, that, that tree's uh, uh, cellulose and toward its limbs. And it, some of those trees were glow, growing flowers lying on the ground. They were dead and didn't even know it yet. And sometimes you can pull your roots up and still think you're doing okay and growing flowers. And you don't even realize it. You just got cut off from the source. Don't do that. Amen. Don't let people pluck you up from where God has planted you. And hold on to what God has given you in your life. You have to be committed. Say committed. Would you do that? I'm not going to finish this, but I want to show you a quick video of an Iranian mother and daughter and you're gonna to have to read the screen because it's it's in Arabic this was produced by the voice of the mortars and it's used as a film uh, to show the power of God in Muslim countries watch this right now if you would please it's a story of a woman that had MS and her daughter who was depressed and was going to kill herself and her mother until they saw a program on TV produced by the voice of the mortars and she, the mother called, gave her heart to God. The daughter was furious and got on the phone. And the guy said, if you're going to kill yourself, just give Jesus one week. You can always kill yourself next week and let's see what God will do. The next morning, the mother had been miraculously healed of MS. And both of them gave their hearts to God. Amen. And became... And they're ministers in the underground church. Now, I'm not talking about in Houston. I'm talking about in Iran. You heard of that place where they blow things up and kill people? That's where they're serving God. And much of Christianity today does not have the opportunity to worship with the same freedom you have. Now let me talk to you about what being planted means. You know it's coming. Some of you, you don't pay your tithes regularly. Oh, let, let it get quiet. That's okay. I, I, I don't need it. One sound. Some of you, if it rains, you stick your hand out and say, oh my, I may mailed on the way to church. I better not go today. You knew that was coming. I can't let this pass by. And yet there are brothers and sisters in Christ who risk their lives to serve God. Which one is planted? If you want to be fruitful, we have to up the level of our game. I need to hear somebody say amen. You want an extraordinarily blessed life? Make a commitment and get planted. I'm closing. Secondly, the tree was in a productive environment where fruit could be produced. This is important to point out. It was in good soil. God will never plant you in soil that is not good. If you're at Christian Tabernacle, it's because it's good soil. And I tell you something, when God plants you, he doesn't check for the Dow Jones Industrial Average to see if he's capable of blessing you. He will bless you where you're planted if everything else is dying. And when he plants you in his vineyard by rivers of living water, there can be a desert all around you, but you're still going to bear fruit. Can I hear somebody say amen? 
And thirdly, notice the vineyard owner came with an expectation of finding fruit. This blesses me. He had done so for three years. He was expecting to find fruit. Why is this significant? Because of what I said earlier, that most of us wrestle. And somehow in our minds, we have been convinced. Our thoughts have been perverted and, dis- and, and as it were, turned against us by the enemy. And the enemy is saying, God won't bless you. You're not perfect. And we expect him to bless everybody else but us. But he came to this tree that was not bearing fruit with an expectation of finding Finding fruit that blesses me because it tells me that God's not my problem. Amen. He came looking. He doesn't come looking for what he's not going to find. And if God has said he will bless you, trust me when I tell you, if you get planted, God will cause you to be fruitful in every area of your life. Fourthly, The vineyard owner makes a commitment to continue to invest in this tree. The vineyard owner represents two things in this passage. It represents, first of all, the over-shepherd, which is Christ, and then the under-shepherds, which are pastoral ministry within the church. And what this says is, God, Christ, is saying, I'm going to continue to make an investment in you. See, in this passage of Scripture, he's both the vineyard owner and he's the vineyard dresser. And he says, give me one year. So God, in his justice, says, why should I waste any more time on us? And Christ, in his mercy, says, Father, give me another year, and I'll pour some more energy and resources and effort, and I believe I can make this child of God be blessed and be a a reflection of who you are. All I can say is, God, you want to invest? Bring it on. Amen. Use me, Lord. And I need somebody to lift a hand and say, my life is going to be blessed. Would you do that? And fifthly, there is a need to act right now. Say right now. Would you do it? Time is short. In Hebrews 3.15, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Look at somebody and say, let's act right now. Come on, get your dream together. Develop your faith. Have an air of expectation. A couple of things happened just over the last couple of weeks that have blessed me. Anybody know B.L. George's mother? She's a sweetheart. Are you here? There she is right there. Please stand up. She's, uh, I love this lady. And B.L. is my son in ministry. He and Brenda down in Freeport doing a great job. This is his mama right here. And she brought me the sweetest card last week. And a little gift. That, and and she, I read the card in my office. And she said, Pastor, you've inspired me to build my dream. And her dream was, she, she can cook. She can cook a mean hamburger. And, and so she's opened sparkles. I'm going to give you a shout out. Amen. And she, she opened Sparkles Burgers over on Hirsch and 610. Is that right? And do you know that it's already, already rated among the top 50 burgers in the state of Texas? And, God is good. Tell somebody, build your dream. Would you do that? Amen. And then in the earlier service, Patrick, who used to be my chef at Black Eyed Pea, I used to have three offices, my car, that one in the hallway over there, and then the Black Eyed Pea before they shut down on our side. And I got to know Patrick. He's a member here, and he's been a member a long time. And he came to me the other Sunday, and he said, Pastor, he said, 
I, I want you to pray for me. He said, I'm starting a new business. He said, I've started several, and they've all failed. He used to be a limo driver, had some other businesses going on. And he said, but I never tithed on my business. And he said, I'm making a commitment to do that, and I want you to try these sauces I've made. And he presented to me some barbecue sauces and some marinades and, and some spices. And he said, would you just pray for me? And if any of you guys were at the Super Bowl party, which I hear Tony was over the top the other Sunday, that was Patrick that that, what you, that was doing a lot of that cooking. If you like that barbecue sauce, that's what was on that meat. And you ladies, you don't know anything about this, so you're going to have to get your husband to come on, cough up now, just, you know. And you know what he did? He gave me some of that stuff, and I got it home and said, okay, I'll try it. I opened the jar, and I got a spoon, and I tasted it, and I said, mm, and I took another bite. You know I ate that whole jar of barbecue sauce by myself. And I ordered a whole case for me and a case, uh, two cases, in fact, and a case of basting sauce and a case of, uh, and a bunch of these spices. And I gave some to my daughter and her husband and my son and his wife and gave some to Pastor Donnie. And I asked Donnie this morning, what do you think about that sauce? He said, you know, Pastor, I got home and opened it up and I took one little taste. And I said, stop right there. I already know how the story's going to end. Amen. Look, that, that's about to take off. You, your time is right now.